Hello, and welcome to The Corporate Casket, a bi-weekly series where bad businesses go to die. We will discuss any and everything from bad charities, terrible CEOs, and businesses that have a lot to hide. I'm the Illuminati, and today we're going to be talking about Bayer, the German pharmaceutical company. They were founded in 1863, so there's a bit of a history here. Now, believe it or not, I'm actually not going to be really touching on the fact that they used to sell heroin in the 1800s and uh, that Coca-Cola used to have cocaine in it. Shocking. I just can't really consider it as much of a controversy by that era's standards when not much was known about that drug. Instead, my main focus in today's episode will be more about their recent questionable business practices, lawsuits, you know, the standard array. So why should you hate Bayer now? Before we get into that, we're going to start off with a bit of Bayer history. It works wonders when the family gathers at grandma's for one of those special Sunday dinners. Your milk now. Make all the milk now. Yes. I like the drumstick. The drumstick. <laughs> Bobby, come on, get out from under there. That's your soup. And if you get a headache later on, that's when Bayer works wonders. Two Bayer tablets bring all the pain relief power your headache can use. According to Bayer's website, their company all started with a friendship, natural curiosity, and kitchen stoves. Thanks to some experimenting, businessman Frederick Bayer and dyer Johann Frederick Wexcott discovered how fuchsine dye was made, a relatively new invention at that time. On August 1st, 1863, they founded Frieder Bayer et Comp and targeted the textile industry first. Bayer claims the natural dyes that had been used until then were scarce and expensive. New inventions such as the synthesis of the red dye alizarin and the strong demand for tar dyes led to a boom in new foundings. Many dye factories were built at this time, but only innovative companies with their own research facilities and the ability to exploit opportunities on the international market managed to survive over the long term. Bayer was one of those companies. And it worked, obviously. Red dyes like this were in high demand, and by 1881, they grew from three employees to over 300. They established a research facility and even gave rise to the drug of the century in 1899, aspirin. They transformed, became international, and had about a 10th of their workforce employed outside of Germany by the early 1910s. They were growing at a gigantic rate, that is, until World War I. They made it through the uneasy years, but in 1920, the questionable business practices started to appear. On their own website, Bayer admits that they merged with IG Farben Industry AG in the 1920s before IG Farben was dissolved at the end of World War II. And what they did during that time is, well, a little dark and complex. According to the Holocaust Encyclopedia, As part of the IG Farben conglomerate, which strongly supported the Third Reich, the Bayer Company was complicit in the crimes of the Third Reich. In its most criminal activities, the company took advantage of the absence of legal and ethical constraints on medical experimentation to test its drugs on unwilling human subjects. 
These included paying a retainer to SS physician Helmuth Vetter to test rudinol and other sulfonamide drugs on deliberately infected patients at Dachau, Auschwitz, and Gusen concentration camps. Vetter was later convicted by an American military tribunal at the Mauthausen trial in 1947 and was executed at Landsberg prison in February, 1949. In Buchenwald, physicians infected prisoners with typhus in order to test the efficacy of anti-typhus drugs, resulting in high mortality among test prisoners. Baer was particularly active in Auschwitz. A senior Baer official oversaw the chemical factory and Auschwitz tree, Monowitz. Most of the experiments were conducted in Birkenau in Block 20, the women's camp hospital. There, Vetter and Auschwitz physicians, Edward Wirth and Friedrich Entress tested Baer pharmaceuticals on prisoners who suffered from and often had been deliberately infected with tuberculosis, diphtheria, and other diseases. I know that for many people, this does fall into a strange gray historical area. Like, does this mean you're a horrible person now for driving a Volkswagen because they were once under Hitler's control or that maybe you feel guilty wearing Chanel because Coco Chanel was a Nazi sympathizer? Well, not necessarily. But I think holding companies responsible is still important. And with Bayer, well, it's the experimenting that really gets to me. Being controlled by them was bad enough, but actively testing drugs on those in the camps is a bit beyond words, but probably the norm, unfortunately, for that time. Not to mention that Bayer didn't take responsibility for its actions. Fritz Termier, convicted of war crimes for his actions at Auschwitz, was elected to Bayer's AG supervisory board in 1956 and stayed on until 1964. War crimes, horrific actions at one of the most known despicable concentration camps. How the fuck can Bear simply overlook this? It's not as if he's had a little misdemeanor on his record. This was a horrible man. And yet Bear honors him as if it meant nothing. CBG Network put an article online from David Rosenberg, which stated that not only was he on the board of directors until the 60s, But as recently as 2006, Bayer still placed a wreath on this man's grave. Even if their current employees had no part in these dark deeds, as Bayer puts it, that's not what matters here. If Bayer wants us to believe that they would like to be distanced from their horrific past, then stop honoring his gravesite. Stop issuing scholarship funds in his name. If my company was associated with concentration camps, which caused countless pain for many, then you better believe that's the least I would do to show people I had changed. And this evil man, Fritz, was involved in the planning of Monowitz Concentration Camp, a satellite camp of Casey Auschwitz, which was responsible for helping build the IG Farbenbühne work factory at Auschwitz, which conducted human experiments and held some 25,000 forced laborers under deplorable conditions. And it was Bayer, together with two other chemical giants, BASF and Hocht, which developed the terrible chlorine gas used in World War I. In 1925, the three formed a giant cartel, IG Farben, which became the world's leader in pharmaceuticals, dyes, and chemicals. During the early 1930s, IG Farben became the single largest donor to the election campaign of Adolf Hitler. 
Although it was slightly reluctant at first because some of its key scientists were Jewish, in the decisive year before Hitler won power, IG Farben donated 400,000 marks to him and to his Nazi party. This was amply rewarded. IG Farben with Bayer became the single largest profiteer of German conquests in World War II. So the fact that they're not completely distancing themselves from their Nazi past is a bit gross when you consider what a large role it is that they played in it. And even I didn't fully understand how encompassing they were in those camps. The testing, the human experiments, the gas, donating to Hitler's campaign, for fuck's sake, can it get any worse? Well, obviously it can. People's World article I found on the topic states, those wartime IG Farben men are all dead, but their companies flourish. And Bayer has been accused in recent years of unethical medical experiments, selling drugs shown to be risky, hindering developing countries from developing vital medications and using imported materials produced by child labor. Having a horrific past is one thing, but not truly addressing it, leaving wreaths on the graves of those responsible for war crimes and thousands of deaths is something else entirely. It shows a level of gross negligence and lack of accountability that's quite frankly, rage inducing, but there is plenty more, unfortunately. Before we continue to dig any deeper though, we're going to take just a moment to thank today's sponsor and probably a little mental break from what we're about to continue to dive into. Shopping for new clothes can be needlessly stressful. So why not let Stitch Fix make it easy to do the work for you so you can spend time doing the things you love instead. Shopping for clothes can honestly be a daunting task. It is for me, I honestly hate doing it now and it feels like a chore. So having a service like Stitch Fix, which delivers like once a month to me, like a box with like some pants and shirts and a jacket or whatever the heck I'm asking for, I really like that. And usually they pick things I wouldn't normally pick for myself, but I love. Stitch Fix offers clothing hand-selected by a style experts for your unique size, style, and budget. Each piece is chosen for your fit and your life, so it's the easy solution to finding what makes you look and feel your best. I think I've been using Stitch Fix now, I think we're getting close to a year at this point, and I absolutely love the service. And it's really easy for me to like use the app and kind of tailor what I want, what I don't want. If I'm like, hey, you know, I don't want any pants this month, I just want shirts, they do that. Like it's super easy to communicate with them. And all you do is they ship you a box, you try on the pieces at home and you keep your favorites and you send the rest back. Stitch Fix has free shipping, easy returns and exchanges, and a prepaid return envelope is included in every single package. You just pay $20 for each box, which gets credited towards the pieces you keep. And there's no hidden fees whatsoever. That's pretty much it. You pay $20, box get delivered. Whatever you keep, they charge you for, and whatever you ship back, they don't charge you for. Stitch Fix has styles and clothing to fit any occasion for men, women, and children. And they ship all over the US, and they're also available in the UK as well. So if you wanna get started today, go to stitchfix.com slash casket where you'll get 25% off everything you keep in your first fix. That's stitchfix.com slash casket for 25% off when you keep everything in your fix. stitchfix.com slash casket. Today's episode is also sponsored by Function of Beauty. And I know there's been a few of you mentioning that Function of Beauty is having some problems and to check out these TikToks or videos that are going viral or whatever about potential hair loss involved with Function of Beauty. So I went ahead and talked to Function of Beauty. 
I actually received a letter back from Lorna Somerville, the chief marketing and customer experience officer about my inquiry because I told them pretty honestly that I didn't really want to be sponsored by them any further if they weren't going to look into this and they weren't gonna give me some kind of answer about what was going on with their products. They've went ahead and told me that they've tried reaching out to the girl in the viral TikTok and she hasn't actually responded back to them. They're trying to get information about her specific batch code and things like that to try and verify if something maybe went wrong in that particular batch. And they said they looked into specific batches of products from new consumers who reached out to them and they found no abnormalities in their products. And Lorna even shared with me that prior to joining Function of Beauty, she actually experienced a period of hair loss due to pregnancy and stress. And she knows how immensely unsettling it is for anyone that's experiencing it. So they're taking these complaints very seriously and they're trying to speak with whoever has a complaint. So if you are one of those people, then please reach out to them because they are actively trying to find a solution if there is an actual problem. They also understand that hair loss in particular is a complicated issue with many contributing factors such as allergies, nutrition, physical or emotional stress, medications, postpartum changes, recent hair treatments, or illnesses such as COVID-19. So I wanted to go ahead and share that with you. I will share screenshots of the letter as well in my sources so that you are actually able to take a look at this letter. Lorna said it's perfectly okay for me to share this letter with everyone. So with that being said, let's talk about Function of Beauty, a product that I still use and love and many millions of you out there also love and use. Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair's specific needs. To get started, all you have to do is take a quick quiz to tell them a little bit about your hair type, your hair goals, such as lengthening, volumizing, or oil control. And because your hair changes with the season, you can change your hair goals before every shipment. Then after that, you're gonna go ahead and choose your color and your fragrance or go fragrance and dye free. I personally choose the mint color and I really love the peach scent because I think it smells amazing. Then Functions team determines the perfect blend of ingredients, bottles your formula and delivers it right to you with your name on the bottle, which I think is really cute. Every ingredient Function of Beauty uses is vegan and cruelty free and they never use sulfates or parabens. And you can also go completely silicone free. There are over 54 trillion possible formulations and Function of Beauty has over 50,000 five-star reviews. And Function of Beauty offers completely customized formulas for your body and skincare as well. So you can customize your beauty routine from hair to toe. So if you wanna get started today, make sure to go to functionofbeauty.com casket to take your quiz and save 20% on your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Again, go to functionofbeauty.com casket, let them know we sent you and get 20% off your first order. Again, functionofbeauty.com casket. Now it's not just Bayer that's gotten into trouble, but their subsidiaries as well one of which H.C. Stark was partly responsible for the long bloody civil war in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So it looks like Bayer really has a history of war crimes. H.C. Stark, so we're all on the same page here, produces technology metals. And the DRC is one of the largest suppliers of these metals in the world. As of writing this, H.C. Stark themselves says this, In the course of the work of a United Nations panel of experts, H.C. Stark was accused of illegally purchasing raw materials from the Democratic Republic of Congo. The allegations were finally withdrawn with the UN panel's report of the 23rd of October, 2003. In the UN final report, H.C. Stark was put in the category matter settled, no further activities necessary. The Austrian Kral Group, which allegedly owns a psychochlor mine in the DRC, apparently cannot live with this decision. 
Crawl Metal Congo, here and after referred to as Crawl, is indulging in allegations which threaten to damage the H.C. Starks Group's good name. So-called proof of alleged misconduct by our company and other companies is offered on the internet site niob.cc. In addition, it has unsuccessfully tried three times to date to have these or similar allegations also backed up by the courts or by state authorities. We, for our part, have decided not to take legal action against Crawl because we do not have to concern ourselves with such absurd accusations. However, so that an opinion can be formed, we are indicating in brief the results of the previous proceedings that Crawl has brought against us. I wasn't sure what to really make of this at first. If the courts haven't been able to prove these allegations, then it could be, as they say, trying to damage their name. But at the same time, there's several other allegations listed beneath this one. So it's a bit of a stretch to believe that random companies are working so hard to damage their good name. I'm not saying it never happens, but in all of my research, it's rare you'll see multiple accusations like this escalate to be only an innocent company at the end. So let's cut the victim act, H.C. Stark. The problem is how they address, how little they admit, and to using conflict materials. It's a bit of a difficult topic to explain, but let me try to use some highlight points from Descent Magazine to explain what H.C. Stark has done. January 6, 2014. At his keynote at the Palazzo Auditorium, Intel CEO Brian Krasnick strikes a more serious tone leaving behind the internet of things to remind the audience of the things that power the internet. In Sub-Saharan Africa, a video behind him announces, there is a war that feeds off of global demand for electronics. The place is the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. The region is ground zero for conflict minerals. Grim statistics flash across the screen. But Intel offers a solution, a conflict-free microprocessor, which he promises will contain no minerals whose extraction funds rebel militias in the Eastern DRC. The audience responds with tepid applause. A significant portion of the bewildering mix of elements that go into any single smartphone is mined from a select few sites around the world. Of these minerals, a handful, most notably the three Ts, tin, tantalum, and tungsten, and gold, have in recent years achieved notoriety as conflict minerals. That's because many of these minerals originate in the Democratic Republic of Congo, the nation at the center of Africa that for the past decade and a half has been home to the deadliest conflict since the Second World War. Since 1996, a series of wars there are estimated to have killed upward of 5 million Congolese people, with over 90% of these deaths due not directly to violence, but to war exacerbated disease and starvation. In the areas worst affected by the conflict, the provinces of North and South Kivu and the district of Ituri Oriental Province, which border with Rwanda, Uganda, and Burundi, over 80% of the population reports having been displaced at least once. And hundreds and thousands still live in squalid camps. Nearly 50 women are raped every hour across the country, according to a 2011 study, earning the DRC its reputation as the worst place on earth to be a woman. 
So you can kind of begin to see the problem here. Much like with mica mining, as statistics come out and people realize where the metals for their technology come from, people want to hear that their metals are conflict-free. Like how their makeup is child labor-free, beauty products are cruelty-free, everything is natural, as they like to say. Those words sell and they appeal to the consumer. If you can still have your laptop, but without the conflict minerals, then all is well and good and you should have a clear conscience, right? Well, that stamp of conflict-free is a little bit of bullshit. I can't get into all the details of the War of the Congo or we'd be here for quite some time, but let me explain the so-called conflict-free label. From the Netherlands and Australia to the United Kingdom and the United States, campaigns linking our cell phones to atrocities in the DRC have drawn an unprecedented amount of attention to the conflict. Producing all kinds of laws, industry initiatives, and liberal guilt around conflict minerals, the increasingly enthusiastic participation of major tech companies has done little to address the deeper causes of the conflict. The problem, according to Maurice Carney, executive director of Friends of the Congo, is that narrow advocacy around conflict minerals has promoted a convoluted and largely ineffective approach to peace and elided the deeper causes of the country's misery. It's not a conflict-free Congo that this is about, says Carney. This is about a free Congo, a free and liberated Congo. The overwhelming majority of the country is not part of the conflict, but the whole country is impoverished and dependent. Conflict minerals only go so far towards explaining why a country that is arguably the world's richest in terms of natural resources, holding an estimated $24 trillion in untapped mineral reserves is instead the poorest. If the criteria for conflict-free mines is merely that it profits do not go to armed groups, then this framework sets the bar for accountability not too high, as critics on the right have argued, but far too low. Conflict-free does not mean free of child labor, which is ubiquitous throughout the country, including in the Copper Belt to the South. It certainly doesn't mean free of health hazards, environmental damage, and poverty wages. Nor does it mean free of corrupt privatization deals and land grabs. And I know that this is a lot to suddenly take in. I honestly can't begin to explain the whole situation. It would be an insane like 10-parter if I tried. The article from Descent Magazine is quite good though, and I would absolutely recommend it if you want to take a more in-depth look into this situation as a whole. They have some amazing examples of why the conflict-free label isn't what people think. It's essentially slapping a bandage on an amputee wound. It's a feel-good label that addresses so little. And if you ask me, it's a way to try and make shoppers feel less guilty by seeing that label or hearing those words without really digging into why it exists in the first place. And H.C. Stark's position on the matter? They're right out there with that conflict-free label themselves for their medals. I want to say that at least it is something, but you know that they're trying to avoid metals whose profits go to armed groups. It's a step in the right direction to some extent. Yes, it, but it is an effort. But it's the only effort these companies make. And in many cases it is, then I really can't applaud them for doing the bare minimum. 
This is a many, many layered political issue. So again, by no means is this the only perspective on the whole thing. But my point here is that H.C. Stark has faced controversy over this. They're a subsidy of Bayer, and given how Bayer handled their role in World War II, well, I don't have much hope for H.C. Stark either. But let's get back to Bayer directly, because by no means are we done with them. We've talked about World War II, but what about after that? Well, Bayer couldn't really keep a clean record even after World War II, it turns out. In 1978, Bayer and other pharmaceutical companies produced factor eight and nine. Bayer leaves this out of their own history, so this is how you know it's going to be quite terrible. These drugs were designed for hemophiliacs, people who have a genetic disorder that does not allow their blood to clot. This means that even a minor cut could be very dangerous. Bayer, in their attempts to make these factors, harvested from the blood plasma of non-hemophiliacs cut corners. And by cutting corners, I mean that they use blood from people with a history of viral hepatitis. Thousands of hemophiliacs died from HIV-tainted blood plasma, and Bayer got away with breaking federal law by doing this. How grossly negligent does someone have to be to do this is my question, truly. It would have required literally the minimum effort, like seriously, the bare minimum legal effort to not kill thousands of people. And Bayer just oh so conveniently forgets to mention it in their own company history because, you know, I guess that's something you'd rather ignore, right? As recently as 2006, they also had serious controversies with Yaz, their birth control pills. They promised to be different, to not burden its users with excess water weight and bloating like other birth control products. Their pills had a mild laxative effect, which actually made it a favorite popular choice at the time, which if you ask me, again, a bit odd, um, but also around the time in 2006, you've got to remember what was popular when you look at like what Paris Hilton used to look like and stuff, like it was not a super healthy timeframe for fashion, but it was apparently uh, really popular that the birth control was also having this laxative effect that would, I guess by proxy, make you lose weight. It's a bit of an unhealthy combination, but uh, that's what was going on in 2006. Well, it turns out it was a little bit suspicious. According to one source, the romance was cut short when death started surfacing with young, healthy women who had no other anomalies or cohesive factor other than the use of Yaz or Yasmin. Michelle Flager was a fit, healthy 18-year-old college freshman from New Jersey when she collapsed and died from cardiac arrest due to a massive blood clot. The teen had started taking Yaz a year before to help her struggles with acne. Michelle fit none of the high-risk categories and was well under 35, physically active, and a non-smoker. According to the Coalition Against Bayer, hundreds of women have died from complications stemming from Yaz or Yasmin, which has proven to be unreasonably dangerous. Philip Mimix, the board member of CBG, wants the pills and others like it pulled from the market, explaining the Coalition Against Bayer Dangers, which has been pointing out the dangers of Yaz for years, demands a ban on all contraceptive pills with a profile of increased side effects. Despite the controversy, Bayer's oral contraceptives still remain some of the most popular among consumers. Now, maybe don't combine laxatives with birth control pills. That's just a starter point, but you know, Bayer naturally is not going to listen. 
Michelle was also not the only person to die from Yaz. It was far from it, actually. One study from the National Center for Biotechnology Information stated that in Canada alone, between late 2007 and early 2013, 23 girls and women died from taking Yaz. And some of those were as young as 14 years old. As for the Mirena IUD, a long-term birth control device, there's been dangerous complications there as well. Birth complications, ectopic pregnancies, perforation of the uterus, and chronic infection. Due to over a thousand complaints surrounding the Mirena IUD, the FDA released a press release on May of 2008, forcing Bayer to highlight the serious dangers of ectopic pregnancy. In addition to changing the labeling to highlight the side effects of Bayer's products, they needed to tell women who choose Mirena about the risk of ectopic pregnancy, including the loss of fertility. Up to one out of every 1,000 users will experience an ectopic pregnancy with the Mirena in place, and up to half of these will result in an ectopic pregnancy, which is potentially life-threatening complications for the mother. I know one in 1,000 doesn't seem like that high of a risk, but we're not just talking about the potential of getting pregnant here. It's not a one in 1,000 chance the device will fail, but that it could be a life-threatening, fatal complication in a pregnancy. So Bear, stop trying to fucking make revolutionary forms of birth control because it's pretty clear you're just not good at it. But somehow we are still not done. In the early 2000s, Bayer pulled Baycol from the market. It's a cholesterol-lowering drug that was approved in 1997. But unsurprisingly, given Bayer's history and tragically, 31 people died in the US from it. Although complications in statin cholesterol-lowering drugs can happen, this drug is about 10 times more common than with other statins, according to Dr. Don Jenkins, a director of the Office of Drug Evaluation at the US Food and Drug Administration. Even though statin drugs may be common, Bayer managed to take the gold for the worst one, again. In a letter to health professionals dated 8th of August, 2001, Bayer said that its data indicated an increased reporting rate of rabomyolysis at the 0.8 milligram dose of Baycol alone. The FDA agreed with and supported Bayer's decision to withdraw Baycol from the US market. In a talk paper, the FDA wrote, patients who are taking Baycol should consult with their physicians about switching to alternative medications to control their cholesterol levels. Patients taking Baycol who are experiencing muscle pain or are also taking gemfibrosil should discontinue Baycol immediately and consult their physician. There are five other statins available in the US that may be considered as alternatives to Baycol. Needless to say, this is not exactly a great look for the company when they've got five competitors that do not have this issue. It's just Bayer that's sending people to an early grave. Now, given everything we've gone over thus far, you'd think Bayer would be drowning in lawsuits, right? Well, they actually are. In the 1990s, the Justice Department found Bayer guilty of overpricing wholesale pharmaceuticals for over seven years. Bayer was forced to reimburse the federal government and state localities more than $14 million. But as of today, Bayer representatives admit that there are over 10,000 pending lawsuits against the company. 
This is far, far cry from one or two small issues or even a few products that went wrong. This is a systemic issue of the company itself being inherently incompetent. Hell, if you needed more of a reason to dislike them, they purchased Monsanto in 2018, and I've done an entirely separate video on Monsanto and their crap, and if you thought they were bad, then you look at Bayer and you go, wow, that's bad, but they were just like, yeah, I want in on that. Like, what? I won't get into all the details of all the lawsuits against Monsanto that Bayer has so generously taken upon. I think I covered a lot of that in the separate episode, but the unethical business practices, the pollution from Roundup, you can thank Bayer for that one as well. I mean, hey, they condone the company just as they condone Fritz Termier's actions during World War II, given how, you know, they leave wreaths on his grave. You know, sorry, that one's still just pissing me off a bit. But before I end today's episode, I wanted to go through these lawsuits as simple numbers. It's an impressive list given that they made $41 billion annually as of a couple of years ago. So you can be sure they can afford to lose all of this and they should have still paid more. More than 10,000 women filed lawsuits for Yaz. Over 8,000 cases were settled for the sum of $1.7 billion. More than 520 Morena lawsuits were pending in New York alone in May, 2018. Bayer faces 16,800 Assure lawsuits blaming the device for serious injuries and event death. There's 22,000 Zarelto bleeding lawsuits, 150 Tracelol lawsuits were settled for $60 million in 2010. That one was linked to an increased risk of death and serious injuries. $1.1 billion settled over 3,000 Baycall deaths and injury claims in 2005 and more than 780 lawsuits over medications like Cipro and Avalox are pending at the time of the article. And look, this is a pharmaceutical company. Tragedies do happen and mistakes will be made, but Bayer seems to have this proven track record time and time again that they simply do not care. They don't pull drugs until dozens die. Their subsidiaries ignore concerns about supposed criminal free products. They've purchased Monsanto, who again is fucked up enough that they have their own episode. And as of 2006, they're still honoring their Nazi past. All of this makes them pretty irredeemable to me. So with that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something new, make sure to like, subscribe, and follow so that you can stay up to date with all of the latest episodes. And if you want to connect with me outside of these episodes, make sure that you click on my Linktree link in the description box. It will open up a tab for all of my social media and other various projects that I'm involved in. Thank you all so much for making it to another episode. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye.